Hey everyone, it's Millie. It's Gabby. And welcome back to another week of Change by Degrees. We're back with our summer series. And uh, to kick us off, we have a great interview. And Gabby's going to tell us all about our first guest. Yeah, so our first guest is someone super special. I've known her since I was in, I want to say, eighth grade. Um, And she's been a friend and a mentor and someone I just really look up to. I love her so much. So Lana Jackson, um, I'm just going to read her bio from her website because honestly, she words it better than I ever could. So Lana Jackson is an experienced wardrobe stylist with three degrees in fashion design, product development, and art history. Committed to supporting women-owned enterprises, Lana is a member of The Wing, a mid-stage investor in Darling Media, and former fashion contributor to Verily Magazine. While building the storied life, she successfully launched and maintained her personal styling and image consulting firm. She currently resides in Washington, D.C. Just like you've heard, she's an amazing person. We're so excited of the opportunity we had to talk with her, and we hope you guys can get something from this as a fellow creative. So make sure you check out the show notes for all that information, and we hope you enjoy the interview. So Yolanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We kind of wanted to just pick your brain a little bit and ask you about your journey from working a full-time job like most people to then kind of engaging in a side hustle and really dedicating yourself to that as well. So tell us about that journey from working a nine to five job to creating a side hustle and still working um, a nine to five as well. Yeah, um, I think, so that's a great question. and. it's been such a journey. I'm trying to even, you know how you live through something and then you're, you have to really go back and be like, how did I do that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And I am still doing it too. So um, I think for me, so I, uh, I've had, I feel like I've had nine lives, honestly. And um, I started out uh, after high school, I studied, I went moved to LA, I studied fashion, came back home, got another degree in art history started working in like the museum world a little bit and then ended up working in the government if working for the Department of Defense and Finance which I'm currently doing and um, and I have other interests working on the story life and talking about fashion brands and their stories um, so and realizing like later that I wanted to to have that creative outlet and so I feel like it's almost um, it's hard to balance all of that like emotionally, mentally, physically, financially. Um, and it's hard for everybody, I feel like. And some people make it look easier to kind of have a side hustle and work full time. And some people have really been open about how hard it is. Um, so for me, I think it, it became um, a necessity to do both simply because I do not enjoy my work. <laughs> I um, have a, like... I was just talking. I was just talking to somebody on the phone before this, and um, explained to them because I live in D.C. that uh, everybody, most people in this area, work for the government. You know, it's like being in Nashville and like being a musician. It's just like most people are, <laughs> and it's the nature of the culture there. Um, so working for the government, while it may seem impressive to other people, um, is what we do here, and also it's for me very hard. It, it, I don't have. For so many years, I I just felt like so um, emotionally cut off from my creative side, Um, going to work every day and um, being in an environment that's so uh, rigid and so um, spending so much time in my mind uh, with numbers and math and people want to talk about congressional budget cuts all day and they're like thrilled to death about it. 
No. It's just like, I was at a certain point in my 20s, like like around the time I met Gabby, um, I was like, I'm sad. And I don't feel like I can breathe sometimes. And I would wander from conference room to conference room. And I would just cry and I would pray. And I just didn't know what was wrong with me because I was like, I don't belong here. Like, this is definitely not for me. But I got this job um, and I had just finished college and I was like, I have a clearance. I'm getting really paid very well. It's helping me. It's helping my family. But I got to figure out a way to get out of this. And so for me, like getting the side hustle and balancing those two became um, a sort of a, a agent of necessity. And um, it's hard to do both, but I, I found that the joy that I would get from like, you know, writing for my blog and reaching out to people and doing interviews like this and learning new things and like um, being able to like have a little bit of a self-expression like um, gave me some, um, gave me some uh, of a reprieve and, and of a feeling of um, like, I can be a little creative. That part of me doesn't get to eat, doesn't get to see the sun, doesn't get to go out to play a lot. And so I, I was like, I got to do this. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that like, was like a long-winded way to answer no, the question, yeah. but yeah, just, I have to, I have to do it. That's the first time I've heard your story and it's really inspiring. I mean, I'm so blessed to have started really young in my passion. And that's a, a lot of thanks to my mother who also has all my life had a government job that she has not suffered. I mean, it's been a blessing also. Um, but as she looks forward to retiring, she wants to pursue a creative outlet. And I think your story is really an inspiration of the importance of pursuing for creative people like us, those outlets and figuring out how to make it profitable, um, both emotionally and financially eventually. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank and you. I think also like, it's really interesting what you said about how you you have a creative outlet and I think most people have something in them that they want to be creative with but they don't know how and it's kind of one of those things where we find out and I think you kind of found out um that you know what we're created to do and what we're expected to do in society are often two different things so like you said living in DC is one of those things where you you're expected to do certain things if you work for the government that's like peak like that's like peak success that's what you're supposed to be doing that's a really great job you're blessed to have it and that's all true but at the same time it's like also live in this area like you get burnt out by the time you're 30 or 32 years old it's really hard to be in this area and try to I guess argue the fact that like I don't really want to work for the government or I don't like my government job or any even like if it's you're working in like a big company in the city if it has nothing to do with the government it's still something that you have to be like well you know what I don't really enjoy it and I think when people say that in this area we get a little shocked by it especially mm -hmm. when we're like oh well it's just not what I want to do like it's a shock when people are like I don't care how much the paycheck is it's not what I want to do it's not it's it's not feeding me it's literally like it's not even benefiting me in any way in my personality the only thing it's doing is giving me a paycheck so I think that's really interesting that um and I agree with that and that I, I think it's really cool that you were able to take that leap and be like yeah I'm still gonna work this job but I I'm literally I'm literally here for the paycheck and that's it I don't care about congressional budget cuts at all um so I really I think that's I think that's something that even though it's maybe 
everyone is thinking it like, oh, I really hate working this job. Not many people say that. Um, and not many people look inward to say like, what do I really want to do? Not what I've been programmed or taught from a young age to do, but what do I really actually want to do with my life? And is there something like in me that, that I can make into a side hustle or I can make into a business or I can help other people with, with that I can use via my creative outlet. So I think that's really cool too. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, so like proud of both of you guys for like leaning into that, like now. And, um, I wish that I figured that out sooner. Like it took a long time. It took a long, it took a lot of therapy, like a lot of prayer and just a lot of time to really like understand that it's, um, that because because the, the reality was like I didn't honestly know why I was crying like I, I, I it's so bizarre like I would come home and I would tell my sister I would talk to my family and um I knew that like this was a good job and I knew that it was like helping but I didn't didn't you know understand that like it was like my soul was grieving and um we just don't spend enough time I feel like with um, I hate to be like our young people because now I sound like, <laughs> but or especially with like, um, like as women, like en enough time is not spent on you um, really understanding what, how you show up in the world and what it is you need to feel um, like uh, a sense of like joy and pride and accomplishment. And um, there's too much expectation on how, what you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to show up in the world and how you should be grateful for X, Y, and Z. And we're just not spending enough time really um, nurturing like our younger people and nurturing like younger women into, um, if it doesn't feel right for you, like that's okay. And also you can play the man, you know, you can do this job and not, you know, really care about whatever it is. If you just need to show up here and get a check, that too is also uh, admirable. Um, you know, you do your job, you leave. I, I was listening to Sophia Bush talk. She's just like my spirit animal. Um, <laughs> she was talking about the workplace. And I think it was like um, she was addressing like Oxford University or whatever at, at a talk. And she was saying that, what is it about our culture where we like expect people to just be at work all the time and to just be like, don't leave, don't go home. Like, uh, you know, we want them to be here and so plugged in and just like ride or dying for whatever the cause is. And I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There's some people who really love what they do and um, their life is their job and that, that that's, that's working for them. But there's something to be said also for like, you know, having a life outside of your job and it's okay if it's it's okay if those are like separate things it's okay if you just need to go to, to this job to get a paycheck and really your life happens outside of that um that's okay too um there's no shame in that game and um yeah that's that's where i'm at and there's a level of emotional and mental awareness that is required for that because I have had to learn how to be um, keep a lot of things in the center and and be a little bit dispassionate and be a little removed uh, and have good boundaries so that I can do my job, go home, and have the time for my side things. 
Um, that means that I'm not going to be at the happy hour. And I really don't care if you don't think that um, I'm a team player because I don't want to go to the happy hour. Well, I don't have time for that because I'm doing something else. And um, I don't care if you don't think that I'm not ambitious enough because I'm not, uh, you know, bringing up all these great ideas in the meeting. Um, what is the task? I will execute it. Uh, it will be done on time and with you know, all the bells and whistles, um, but I'm not doing more than that. And uh, as a woman and as a person who is very loyal and very sensitive, I had to learn that I had to stop relying on how people want me to be, because I will please, you know, I want to be liked and um, understood, but I had to let that go. Um, so I think that, you know, there's a certain level of uh, emotional and mental boundaries that you have to have if you're going to be this way and you're going to have a side hustle and do your job because you can't be all things to all people. Um, when I do a great interview with a brand founder and, and I really have fun and I get a lot of joy, like that's my sense of accomplishment. I don't need to get it from you in this job because that's not where I get it from. And also my worth is, you know, in my identity and who God is not wrapped up in who, you know, whether people on the job think that I'm like an ace or whatever. Um, so yeah, I say it now and it sounds really like highfalutin, but it was a lot of, <laughs> was a lot of tears and a lot of prayer and a lot of pain to get to that realization, um, you know, so I can have joy and peace today and not care about the other stuff that, that's not on my agenda. Yeah, no, not not at all. I mean, going off that, because as women, I think the the glorification of careers and even once we get the job, always trying to be the best performing, you have to impress everyone in order to get a raise and, and, and do 110%. I mean, how much did that play into or did it make it difficult to then start going off to your side hustle, like people's expectations and opinions of you? Did you ever struggle with that? Or were you so sure and this is what you needed um, to be happy that that really didn't matter to you? Do you still struggle with that today? I I'm just curious because you seem so <laughs> mature and I, I wish I could be there, but I'm I know I'm not yet. Um, I, I is it, uh, that's, a, that's a really great question. Um, do I still struggle with it today? I do. Um, I think it's just like, it's a process um, <clears throat> that I'm still working through of just being okay with like, not being that woman on the job who's like, you know, everybody likes or um, is like accomplishing a lot of great things and like representing their company well, or the client, the government client or whatever. Um, I would say it takes, I would say being 30 helps. I'll say that. Um, so, so it's okay when you say like, I'm not there yet. That's totally the truth. Oh my God, Millie, you just wait for 30. It'll all, it'll all, <laughs> I promise you. My sister told me that I was like, whatever. And then it happened and I was like, wow, damn, I really don't care. This is new. So screaming. <laughs> So I think age definitely helps. And I don't know what it is about 30, but I'm 30, how old am I? I'm 33. And yeah. Um, and it took a lot of time. I think my twenties to just start to really 
work through the undoing of society, of societal pressure of who I, am I everybody's good little girl or am I a woman of God? And I'm like really in my purpose. And I, if you like it, great. And if you don't, don't, you know, like, cause I see that in the scriptures, you know, just speaking that way. Um, there's a lot of women in there who just, they do what they got to do. And there's not a lot of apologizing about it. Um, you know, so, um, to other people, not to God. So, um, I'm still working through it. And I think, um, when it comes to my like government job, I'm about like 90% there. Um, and I'm very focused on my agenda and my goals and, you know, I give what I can give and then I leave. Um, and I also think that's healthy. Um, are there moments in the meeting when maybe I feel a little bit like I check in, I'm like, am I living it right? You know, Lord, like, am I, am I like really working as hard as I could be? Like, you know, maybe I need to try a little bit harder. Um, or maybe I need to, uh, show up a little better. That does happen. Um, because you're, cause I'm a human and I, and I feel like I'm a good person and I, and I feel like I, you know, want to do a good job. It's hard to keep it in balance. Um, but I always think I come back to center of I'm doing the best I can. I think if you know that you strive to be a decent person and you really do, um, care about other people and you do really want to do your job as much as you can, then you always have to come back to a place of I'm doing the best that I can. Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, and I also would say it's very important to, um, I didn't get this until later, until my thirties. It's, it's, you take a job and you're in your twenties, you're younger and you got a car, you got, I think, uh, how do I say this? I had to sit down and be like, why am I at this job? What am I, what am I here for? What am I getting out of it? How can I get more out of it um, for myself? Am I using all my benefits? Did I use my dental? Um, you know, like, did, am I using all my, my PTO days, my vacation days? Um, is there somebody here that needs me? Somebody around here, is, is there a girl crying in the bathroom? Does she need prayer? Maybe I'm here for that. Um, you know, or is there somebody here I could learn from? Is there somebody here who has something I need? Uh, a mentorship relationship, an opportunity to uh, maybe learn a little bit more of a new skill set so I can put that on my resume. Um, you know, that kind of strategic thinking, I wish I, un I got sooner. Because um, no one tells you that. You kind of take the job and you try to become whatever they need you to become. And then years go by and it's like, well, what do I have to show for it? So make sure, and I said this to, to other, you know, younger women or even men listening, like make sure that you're clear on what you need. If you're just doing this job at Bank of America, because you can save up and then you can move to Tampa so that you can, you know, I don't know, do, do this other job or be with your <laughs> girlfriend. If that's your goal. Like be clear on why you're there. Be clear on what you need to get out of it. Be open to what you can give. And like, be focused about that because people will pull you in all directions and try to make you into whatever they think you need to be. Um, and I hate to sound so combative. I don't mean to. It's no, just- No, you're not. You're good. 
I, I literally had one job um, the other day. It, it was a contract job and I'll just be like really transparent. Like I stayed there for a few months and I literally walked off that job because it became, um, it just wasn't a healthy place for me. But I remember the first day I started and the, the gentleman I was working for, um, we sat down with another person who started that day as well. And he proceeded to just tell me like who I was going to be to him. Um, oh, he was going to make me his protege and he was going to have all these things for me and I was going to become this person to him. And I was like, wow, um, are you, are you serious? Like in my, like in my younger days, I would have been like, okay, absolutely. But I wanted to laugh and then I was mad. So I said very kindly and very diplomatically, I said, um, Thanks, but I, I already have my own, you know, idea of what I'm here to do. Um, and so uh, thank you, but no thank you. Um, and I'll kind of decide whether that's, you know, something that I want out of our, our work relationship. And that was that. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind, but I'm like, what you're not going to do is tell me who I am and what I'm going to be to you. I will decide if that's what I want. Um, and I think I say that to you guys because I want you to feel that you can walk in your power. You can walk in your power when you walk into a room. You can walk in your power when you walk into the interview. You can walk in your power when you're on the job and in the meeting. You don't ever need to concede that power because you have that already in God working for you, but you already have, you also have that in yourself as a woman, you don't need to give it away. Um, so, uh, you know, what is he going to do? Like, no, you're fired. Okay, great. Then you know, um, <laughs> job. bye. Uh, you know, so that's that. No, no, that's incredibly encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, it's so interesting because you mentioned earlier about like setting boundaries and it kind of goes along with what you just said. Like it, I think it's so important no matter where you walk into, whether it's walking into a job, like you said, with this bad experience or walking into um, any room at all. Like if you don't know who exactly you are and if you don't know exactly what you're there to do or um, what you're there to accomplish, people will tell you and you'll, you'll believe them or maybe not believe them, but you'll go along with it. And, and I think that yeah. that can be really dangerous. I think a lot of times people don't mean it maliciously. I think most people don't mean it maliciously when they kind of inadvertently tell you who you are. But I think it can be really, it can, the effects that it, that it can cause are, are really bad and detrimental. So I think that's really interesting that it's, it's hard to, I think, self-reflect and really understand who you are, especially at a young age, because you're always evolving and always changing, but to at least on that Tuesday that you walk into a conference room to know that on this Tuesday, I am this person and like, no one can tell me anything else. And if that changes tomorrow on Wednesday, when I walk into the same room, then so be it. But at least I have the idea of who I am for these 24 hours or for this week or whatever, because I think, I think people also, certain people can latch onto the fact that like, oh, this person doesn't really know what she's doing or what they're doing or, you know, what they believe. And that's a really, that's a good person to like mold. And you know, sometimes that's okay. And mo but most of the time, it's like, it's not and people will just in your formative years, or in your young adult years will really tell you who you are so much so that you you wake up one day at a job that you meant to leave 
five years ago that you're still at and you, you have no clue what you're doing. And you kind of self-reflect and say like, you know, what, why am I still here? And you realize it's because people either told you or they said to you like, well, this is the way this job is going to work and you just went along with it. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that they can say no um, and that there's power in saying that and that a lot of people, a lot of bosses, managers, coworkers haven't been told no. So when you say it, it's like, oh yeah, sure, let's compromise. And people are willing to do that or they're not. And like you said, you just say, okay, bye. I'll go to a different place. Um, so I really, I think that's, it's so practical, but at the same time, I think it does take a lot of like deep self-reflection in order to be comfortable enough to know who you are when you walk into a room. Yeah, no, that is difficult. I mean, in the workplace or even in college, when you have kids who don't know, young adults, who don't know who they are, people will tell you. Um, and whether it's peer pressure, poor self-image, and, and I can see these people who are unsure of themselves change, um, and sometimes not for the better. Um, and I think it's also important. I mean, I hope that I'm constantly working towards a point where I'm sure enough of myself that I can say no. I, I'm so bad at saying no still, um, but I've gotten <laughs> better. And it's really important to have people around you who can remind you um, hey, like, this is not okay, or it's not you, or, or like, both of you have mentioned, like, I have the power to, to say no, it's okay to. Um, and I recognized that, that the community and having, you know, one or two people that you really trust to call you out sometimes, even if it's painful, but to help you grow has been invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I love that. Um, like, for me, I guess that person is like my sister, Jalene, and just, um, you know, I always say that like siblings are like true life partners um, because they're kind of with you for the whole ride. Um, they're, they're with you, you know, before your spouse gets there. Um, they're with you, you know, like your parents will eventually like die, but like, uh, and sometimes your parents will, you know, maybe they're great people or maybe they're not, but your siblings, you know, you have, they're your confidants. They're the ones you talk to about your parents, you know, like, and um, Jolene is really like um, a partner in that sense that um, sometimes it's a hard word from her in terms of like, you know, am I, when I'm not living it right. And sometimes I'll ask her too, like on this job or whatever, like this is the situation, like it, is it right what I did? Like, was that okay? Um, you know, should I have done that better? Or, and she might have a word that's hard to hear, or she might be like, no, like you did the right thing. Like, remember, this is who we are. Like, this is what you're trying to do. Like, remember, this is what you said you were about. And it's so great and important to have like that kind of person uh, to be vulnerable with and to be able to say, um, am I living it right? Am I doing it okay? Um, whether that's like a friend, like you guys having each other or like your siblings or even just like a therapist. Like, um, I love my, go I love going to therapy and I love having that outlet to kind of like, you know, get that feedback on, you know, how I'm managing everything. Yeah. I think that's super important. I love, I love that too, because I think, and I think me and Millie have pretty much gotten to that point where we can talk to each other like that and remind each other and be be accountable uh, to each other like you said whether it's like affirmation or a 
gentle what the heck are you doing or what are you thinking um (laughs) so important I think it is important um and kind of going back to what what we were talking about before between your you know the job that you show up for that you're just like you're there to get the paycheck you're there to do good work and and kind of go um I I think I mean to most people that would be such backwards thinking but I love that because I although I do enjoy my job right now I really enjoy all the um like extracurricular things that I do whether it be more work like freelance or whether it be just like other activities that I'm involved in and I think I think Millie can I think she can say the same thing um yeah so what would it so at what point did you and you you talked a little bit about it when you're in your 20s how you were just constantly sad and crying and but didn't know why but at what point in your life did you get to the did you get to the point in that you realized you know how to utilize your passion um to actually make it into something that could help people at what point you're like okay this is enough like I'm tired of doing just a nine to five I have to take my creativity and and make it into something that is um either helpful to people or is a service or it's just something that you're passionate about um I think at what point I think there were two points the first point was I think it was like 20 gosh was it 2015 maybe um yeah I think it was maybe like 2015 um where I was listening to like a lot of like um because because work was so like hard and mind-numbing for me um, I would live through like sermons I would listen to. I would live through podcasts I would listen to. And I was listening to people uh, or reading blogs. I started reading Meghan Markle's blog, The Tig, in yes. 2015. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that was so eye opening for me. Um, it's why I have so much respect for her, like as a person. Um, I know people have a lot of things to say about her and whatever. But um, she's like a real one. And that blog was her just being so like real about her life, about her choices, about her identity as a biracial woman, about being a woman. Um, And she just helped me to see some things. And I value it so much to this day. And I think that was reading that blog during that season of my life was a real um, catalyst for me recognizing like whatever is in, there's something inside of me that wants to come out. And I would always say that, and I don't even know why, but reading that blog and listening to her, I, I realized that like, so, so I could just live my whole life and like all of the gifts and all of the things that are living inside of me um, that could change people, that could change parts, not maybe not the whole world. I mean, Jesus did that already, but maybe I could just change certain parts of the world that I show up in. Um, so like all those gifts that I have, my love for storytelling, my love for the arts, for design, for composition, for fashion, my love for um, all of those things could just really never be seen, never come out to help anybody or to enlighten anybody. And I really started to grow a little sad about that. I was like, that's not right. You know, like, I don't think that, um, sometimes I think about my baby picture and it's like a thing in my family because I, for whatever reason, when I was born, like, I don't know how they situated me in in the little thing 
that they put the kids in after they're born. But I, I put my finger to my, uh, uh, the side of my head, like I'm thinking like a, like a, <laughs> posing like I'm thinking and it's just like this joke in my family but I just think about that little girl you know she's thinking about something she's wondering about the world and maybe maybe God's talking to her about who she'll be and what she'll bring and um I just want to give her I I came to the point that year where I was like I just want to give her her best chance to um to be that. I don't want to get in her way because of the trauma, because of the difficulties, because of whatever I think I lack, or um, I just want to get out of her way so she can, can, can have whatever she needs to have or be whatever she needs to be. And once I understood that, and it wasn't all like one big revelation, but like over time, then I was like, okay, Lana, you, you need to get serious and figure something out here. Um, whatever that looks like. Um, I got a counselor not long after that, Andrea. Um, I, I put myself into inner healing prayer, which was this thing um, through this this church that uh, is in this area. And you get like these two prayer partners, like an application, it's like a process. And I got these two British ladies, um, uh, Suki and Katrin, and I would meet with them for like months and pray. And it's not like a pray right there kind of thing. It's more, it's very meditative. It's like guided meditation almost. You kind of revisit some things and work through some things. And you know, that, that year was hard. Um, it was a lot of work. And um, so that was a, that was a pivotal point. I think just the recognition uh, through a lot of voices of which Megan was one, but there was a, that, that pivotal point of, I could just live my life and no one would ever know. And like, that wasn't good enough for me. Um, and then I think the second point, well, cause that point was very magical. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, and it was work. It was hard, but it was very magical. Mm. The second point was very traumatic and that was 2016. Um, and that was really watching the whole world change because of, um, some decisions that some people wanted to make about who, who our president will be. Um, and that was a real shock to my core. Um, a lot of my relationships changed in the church, out of the church. Uh, it was a real reckoning. And, and, uh, when that happens, it's, destabilizing. And so what you want to do is be very sad because it feels very apocalyptic. And then you have to get to a place of, okay, so what am I going to do? Well, I suddenly had a lot of time on my hands because I wasn't at the hangout because I was mad about the people I was hanging out with. Right. So, um, you know, then there was a reclaiming of my time. There was a reclaiming of my purpose. Uh, because of the circumstances that we found ourselves in, had to do a lot of racial identity formation work about who I am as a black woman. What does that mean? Um, like, and that just even more so catalyzed my need to fight to, to really to, to create something, right? Um, because I needed to have agency as a woman of color, as a woman in general, um, there are a lot of forces that are not that great that are conspiring 
for my voice to not get heard. Uh, so, so I need some agency and I'm going to need some social capital and some financial capital um, because I, ha I, I have things to do. And, and it's more, now more than ever in the current cultural moment, uh, I need to be present. So I need to have a blog as silly as it is or may seem because I need a place for my voice to live. Um, you know, I, I need a chance to express what I think is important. I'm still working on that in some other areas that I'm working on and other things that I'm building out uh, in addition to the storied life. But, you know, that, that was a really pivotal moment. Uh, I would say those, those two things. I love that so much. Everything you just said is like my favorite thing in the whole world. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. It's so interesting because you said about like, about having agency. And I think that is what creativity gives us. I think even when, like you said, in a nine to five job where you have a task to do and you're supposed to do it and you do, and um, you know, you do it to the best of your ability. And then it's kind of like, you go home and it's like, well, I don't have agency there. I have a boss and I have to do something and I have to turn it in and that's it. But when you create something, I think when you create something, you're really, you're doing what you were made to do. Like God didn't create us to just be under someone's thumb for our whole life. Like he created us and he has a purpose for us. And I think when we create and we have agency and we allow ourselves to be expressive, that's really living our purpose. For sure. For sure. I mean, there's even a difference when you create for your job versus when I create just on my own, there's so much more joy and fulfillment that I find in that. Um, and it's, I think, especially hard for people like us who, again, might have some creative aspects to our job right now, but to, to recognize there's an importance in speaking from within your own voice and not for someone else. Um, I really do think that God intended for us to have something that just comes directly from him and from within us. Um, that isn't just because you're doing something for your boss or for the company you work, you know, and I still work to the best of my ability, but I have to strive to still work on my own also. I think that's very important. Yeah, definitely. And and I love that you said that, like, I, th I think that's God, because, I mean, I think he he put that in us to do. And I think that applies to so many things like that applies to like marriage that applies to being a parent. Um, you know, there are jobs in within those roles to do, but like there is a work that also God has given you that's inside of you that might just not, not be for somebody else, but be for you because God, you know, when you're being yourself, you're, you're, you're honoring him. Like, you know, butterfly, flutters its wings and flies for no one. It just does it. It's its own work to do. And there's a beauty about that um, that I think is so good. And I, I, I so love that you said that because you're so right. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing work for others and showing up for others. But I think there is something in us that that is there that is um, put by God to be a work that we do simply because of who we are for whatever reason. And, that's important too. Yeah. Um, I, I really, Yolanda, I think this is all like so amazing. Um, before we wrap up, I would just love to hear you explain what the storied life is to all our listeners, because coming from you would be a lot better than coming from us. Um, and uh, so just kind of what your purpose is in the storied life and, and everything. So if you'd like to explain that. Yeah. 
Um, so the storied life is still in progress. It is a, um, it's a place, it's a, it's a blog essentially, but, um, it's my corner of the internet, I guess, where I kind of wanted to get behind the scenes of brands and kind of talk about like, uh, you know, founders or designers or, um, people who are thought leaders in their fields and like why they created what they did. And, um, stories to me are just like, I don't know. I feel like it's what makes us the most human. It's how we show up in the world. Um, you know, if I'm telling you about me, it's not all these like facts and figures about how much I weigh and where I live or it's, it's a story, you know, like everything we've been talking about is stories. And I think there's something really peculiar about that, about life. And so, you know, when I learn about like a designer or a company, you know, that for whatever reason gets my attention, my next question is, but how? Well, why, you know, like where, where did you, how did you get there? Um, I just live for like the backstory. And so that's what I'm trying to make the story life into. And it's a process and some of it I'm really proud of and some of it I'm not. And I'm like, oh, I wish this could be better. Or I wish that this could be more, um, this could look this way. Um, we had a lot of ideas for what we wanted to do with it. And so it's still in progress, but, um, you know, there are things to shop and look at, obviously, but I really love the interview section where I've just, whether through conversation like this or through writing, I've been able to interview different people sort of in the fashion and creative space. Um, and I just love, that's like the, the meat of it, but growing that out is um, taking time. And I'm also um, working on other things around that. And so there is even balance and the side hustles that have become plural because I'm, I'm getting interested in other things, but it's a place that I hope people, um, are encouraged a little bit to be a, just a little more human about retail. Um, we buy so many things and, um, you can find like gluten-free face wash on Amazon. Um, I mean, you can find anything anywhere, <laughs> but you know, it's the stories sometimes behind these brands that, that often compel people to buy where they do and when they do. Um, and I think there's like a commercial power in that, that a lot of people leverage and don't talk about. Um, I drive 30 minutes or I did drive 30 minutes from my house to get my nails done when there's a place across the, across the street, because the women who started this nail salon are mother and daughter, and they showed up at this place and they gave this talk. And I was like, wow. And so I get my nails done there because their story, you know, like, I, I think there's something about that in commerce. And so I guess I'm trying to leverage a little bit of that um, because it matters most to me. Um, so that's what the story life is. Wow, that's so cool. So cool. I mean, bringing the, I think commerce has become a very faceless industry. And um, I think for young people like us shopping on, well, everyone knows Etsy, but finding those stories behind the people that, that make those products makes me want to buy them even more and it, and it develops a personal collect connection that is gone I think in a lot of other retail so that's that's really cool yeah <laughs> and it became hard like it's hard especially with some bigger retailers like I don't often understand why they're so um they're so like hiding like who they are what they are like what is Zara like where did that come from um who, who's running that um, some people are more open with that than others. And so some of the, uh, getting those stories were harder, 
Um, and then some of it is aspirational. Like I just really love um, this guy, Pier Paolo Piccoli. He's the creative director for Valentino. Um, and uh, that's aspirational, obviously, but I love that he tells stories with his um, designs. I love that he is thinking about culture. I love that there isn't one token black woman in his runway show. Um, but so many, Adut Akesh, who is a former refugee and model and has become his muse, um, who is a very dark skinned black woman um, and is cute as a button. I, you know, so there's, there's those stories that are more aspirational. And then there's stories where like, I, I met this woman at a thing in Houston and she makes uh, active wear that is literally odor proof. She has a patent on the fabric that she has created so that you literally will, like your clothes never smell. So you can go work out and then go to like Whole Foods later, meet up with friends and wear the same clothes. Um, and they're sweat proof as well, but they don't smell. And so like talking to her, you know, that's more um, approachable than like Pier Paolo Piccoli, but all the stories matter. Um, and I hope that people enjoy the stories that I've managed to find. I think, I think that's all so amazing. And I just love watching you, whether it be from like a distance or on Instagram or texting every once in a while, like I just admire you so much and everything that you've done um, and are still in the process of doing. Um, and it, you kind of just, our whole conversation reminded me of something that you told me. I remember one day, I think I was in my either junior or senior year of college. I don't remember when, but I remember I called you and we were talking and I, we talked for a few hours. And I remember one thing that you told me was um, that I still remind myself like all the time was that you were like, okay, so there's not a seat at the table for you. So bring your own chair. And I remember you told me this and I remember being like, oh, and you told me in love, obviously, but you did have kind of like a, duh, Gabby, like, what are you thinking? Like, chair. Like, <laughs> like, so someone said that you couldn't be there because they didn't provide a chair for you, so bring your own. And I was just like, that's so true. <laughs> and I just, I think that uh, that sums up you and our relationship pretty well. But I, I just think that you're such an inspiration and you encourage so much me and um, anyone who follows you and listens to you. So I think, uh, I think this has been really awesome. Thank you so much for, for being willing to come on our podcast and, and talk a little bit about, yeah. about your life. Oh, thank you, Gabby. Like, I love you so much. <laughs> I here so I could give you a hug. And I, um, I don't know, it's weird for me because I admire you so much. I, I just like, I, I hold you in such a high regard. I just feel like, you're what I call an Anne girl. <laughs> I don't know if I said this to you, but I, Anna Green Gables is like one of my favorite books. I know it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some Anne Shirley's in this world, you know, that um, there, I love listening to you talk and I love how intelligent you are and how you know so much about literature and, and um, that I ask you, you know, like I came to you because I was like, I need to understand for colored girls. And oh, yeah, I that, I remember that. That you're, yeah, that you're like that person that um, is so wise beyond your years. And I just think that you're so amazing. And so there's so much inside of you. I just, I just hope that everybody that needs to see it gets to see it. And this podcast is dope. You and Millie are so like, 
ahead of your time. You're so intelligent. Oh, thank um, you. You needed to do this. You had to. This is what I mean when I was like, if you don't, like, what's inside doesn't get to come out. People don't get to see it. Like, you must speak. You, Both of you are so intelligent and so observational about the world and your own state of life as a young adult and how others must be feeling and what must they need to hear and what could we talk about that would help them. And um, that's just like, you need this. You, you must do it, you know? Like, I just think there's something about that. And um, I'm so like honored that you would even ask me to talk to you guys. So thank you for having me. And I just like love you guys. Oh, no, thank you for coming on. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, we're so happy that you joined us. Yeah, we really are. Like, this has been so awesome. And, like, so, I mean, I knew you were going to be great, but you always exceed my expectations. So, um, <laughs> no, for sure. Priceless advice. Priceless advice. I don't mean to. I just feel like I'm rambling, but I, I'm no. So- no, you're so good. Um, so I think, I mean, at least after everyone listens to this, they're going to want to, they're going to want to follow you and find you. So where can people follow you on social media and find your website? Yeah. So uh, my website is the storied life co.com. And um, I'm on Instagram and it's at Lana Jackson underscore. Um, and at Facebook, it's at the storied life. Um so yeah, those are the places and, uh, you know, shoot me a DM, say hello. I'm always open. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah. And um, it was so fun talking to you. It was very fun. And uh, we, we're so happy that you're you're our first guest on uh, for this summer series. So thank you so much. And yeah, we'll be seeing our listeners and, and talking to you guys in the next few episodes.